praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and, me, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep longing, knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You, fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thank you, Noah. We are in a series of 40 days of prayer. This 40 days has had a huge impact on me. If it's been good for no one else, it's been good for me. My prayer life has been changed because of this. I'm an old man. I've been praying for a long time. But there is no one alive whose prayer life could not improve. You know, I think about how Jesus must have prayed. You know, the, the disciples said they heard him pray and said, teach us to pray. Now, Susan, they'd prayed. They were Jews. They had fasting and prayer. They had ritualistic prayers. They had all kinds. of These men had prayed many times before. But you know, Liz, there was the time that they heard Jesus pray. And I think what they were saying is, man, teach us to pray the way you pray. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to hear Jesus pray? They had that opportunity. And after having heard Jesus pray, they said, teach us to pray the way you pray. And he gave them the model prayer. And I've spoken about the model prayer. We've studied it in our Barnabas class. But then, did you notice in reading the scripture, it said, and then he taught them more about prayer. And in doing that, he taught them about persistence in prayer, perseverance in prayer. I've, I've entitled the message, Knocking on Heaven's Door. Now, Grant, I'll be honest, I almost titled it, Knocking, Knocking on Heaven's Door. And... Some of you will recognize the song and some of you old folks like me will think of one guy and some of you younger will think of Guns N' Roses. <laughs> but did you ever think about Jesus said, knock on heaven's door and be persistent 
in knocking on heaven's door. I want you to think about the things that he said. First of all, he's teaching us in, in knocking on heaven's door to pray with urgency. That is to pray as if it really meant something like there was a time limit like you really meant it. We studied in the Barnabas class about how to pray in the midst of a crisis. By the way, there are some of you who belong in my class, and I would encourage you to come. You ought to be there. We have a good time together. In the middle of a crisis, you know how to pray. I will tell you that some of the most fervent running and praying, some of the most fervent praying and running I've ever done when I was 52 years old, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> the year I was 52, one of our grandchildren came down with RSV. And they were talking about being short of breath. And, and they asked us to pray that he could just get a breath. And, man, I, I fell on my knees. I got on my face. And I cried out to God. Somewhere in that prayer... Rodney, I prayed, Lord, just take my breath and give it to that child. That was my morning prayer. And then I went out for my run. And I was in those days um, insane. And I ran five miles three days a week. And that, Alice, that day, I ran the hardest I've ever run in my life. Don, every time I got out of breath, I thought about my grandchild and I prayed the whole five miles. I'm out of breath, but I'm doing it by choice. And he can't breathe, and he needs air. Give him breath. Take my breath. Give it to him. Grant, I, I, I broke my personal best, and I've never touched it again. Five miles at 7.50, 7 minutes, 50 seconds per mile. But the record that day... The thing I remember most about that day, Larry, it's not the record that I broke, the personal best for me that I broke. It's the fervency of that prayer and that God answered that prayer. There are times I believe with all my heart that God puts us in situations in order that we would pray with urgency. Now, he says, now teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, friend of my, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Now, I want you to think about the urgency of the situation. He says, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I don't have anything for him to eat. Uh, I'm afraid that in our culture, our attitude, Noah, would be, well, what does it mean showing up at midnight? What does he expect? He could have stopped at an all-night restaurant. He could have stopped at the shop and go. He could, have, he could have gotten something on the way in. Well, in that culture, uh, I don't have to tell you they didn't have 7-Eleven, okay? They didn't have all-night restaurants. But in that culture, a guest would expect to be welcomed and to be fed. And they, the way they traveled, there was no way to predict exactly when they would arrive. And so this guest has come, 
arrived unexpectedly in the middle of the night. Knowing the culture, Cheryl, I'm sure that they washed his feet before they did anything else. That was a part of hospitality. That was a part of the culture. And then, perhaps while someone was drying the guest's feet, because they they have no bread in the house, they have nothing to get them, he runs to the neighbor to borrow and he is, it is an urgent situation to be without that hospitality, to be without food would be a shame and a disgrace. It would be culturally inappropriate to let them go to bed hungry, without their feet washed, without food to eat. And so he goes at midnight and he's knocking urgently on the neighbor's door. Understand, he was not even asking for himself. Have you thought about that? He's not asking for himself. He's not saying, I'm hungry, give me something to eat. By the way, to do that in the middle of the night would have been foolish and totally inappropriate. But to do that for a guest he was not expecting, who arrived at an inopportune time, and caught them without what they needed was totally understandable, but it was a crisis. It was an urgent situation. When have you found yourself in crisis? When have you found yourself in an urgent situation? We talked about that this morning, and the class shared some very personal circumstances and stories. But I think sometimes God puts us in such crisis, such circumstances, to get us to pray more fervently and to pray with urgency. I want you to notice that his neighbor was a jerk. Now, I'm serious. His neighbor was a jerk because he answered, don't bother me. Now, in the culture, I've already talked about the culture, in the culture of that day, even in the East, Eastern cultures, this day, uh, I, I read in my studies this week the testimony of a missionary working in the Middle East who said that anybody who heard this story in that culture would laugh at this guy. This man's a fool. This man is totally inappropriate. He's a jerk. Because anybody in the Middle East would get up even in the middle of the night. They would totally understand the crisis that the friend, the neighbor is in. And they would be a good neighbor and they would help him out. This guy's a jerk. Don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. My family are all in bed in our beds is what that means. And I can't help you. No, that's a lie. I won't help you. I won't help you. Now, by the way, I need to explain something. This is not a picture of God. In this story that he's telling, he is, in fact, through the story, recognized that he's giving a contrast. This is not how God is, but some people are this way. Some people are jerks. So what do you do? do? The lesson is not really about this guy. It was just enlightening to me. 
we might think that he's reasonable. Understand that in his culture, he is not. He is being culturally inappropriate. Don't bother me. But what does the guy do? I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And this is the point of the story. The shameless persistence. I call him Grant because he studied Greek a little bit too. Greek, uh, uh, Greek. Grant, I always, I like to look in a passage of Scripture and notice words that are never used anywhere else in all the Bible. And this is one of them. This word is never used anywhere else. It is a word that in other uses in the language mean exactly that. Shameless. Shameless. It means Culturally inappropriate. I want you to understand, God wants you to be bold, even inappropriate, when you're knocking on heaven's door. I want you to think about the guy, he goes and knocks on his neighbor's door because he has a great need. So, he knocks on the door. And the guy answers, and he says, I can't help you. So he knocks again. And he said, we're all in bed. I'm not going to get up. And I'm not going to open the door. I can't help you. Somewhere along the way, he's, he doesn't keep knocking meekly. He is shamelessly persistent. Somewhere along the way, He's pounding on the door. Listen to me. That is exactly what God wants from us. That's what this lesson is all about. He is saying, if you are urgent in your prayers, you can be bold in your prayers. You can be shamelessly uncultured, approaching God and pound on heaven's door with your prayers. Don't be afraid. Don't be meek. Storm the doors of heaven with your prayer. Listen, when you do that, it's not an attack. When I say storm heaven's doors, I'm not talking about attacking God. I'm talking about pounding on the doors of heaven with persistence and with urgency. It's not an attack. And it's not arrogant. Because you have God's invitation to do it. He wants you to do it. He wants you to pray with urgency. Not only does He want you to pray with urgency, He wants you to pray with persistence. Pray with persistence. That is, ask and keep on asking. It's not that God wants to be convinced but he does want to know that you're serious about what he's at, what you're asking him. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door 
will be open to you. Listen, persistence pays. Persistence pays. If God has not yet answered, keep on praying. Persistence pays. Just ask Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, that was a few sermons ago and I recognize that. But you remember that I spoke to you about Zacharias in the temple. And he had been praying. It's obvious that he had been praying. He and Elizabeth had been praying for years and years and years for a son. And the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, Your prayers have been heard. Now the Bible says that they were too old to conceive. They were too old to expect a child at their age. And yet the angel said, You will have a son. The truth is, they were still praying, but they had given up. They were still praying. Benjamin, they were praying out of habit instead of praying believing. They really did not expect God to answer. But because of their persistence and because of the timing of God's plan, they gave, He gave them a son who just happened to be John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. Save Christ Himself, John the Baptist. Listen, keep praying. God has not answered yet. Keep praying. God has not yet answered. Keep praying. Pray with persistence. We talked this morning in our class. You're going to get tired of hearing about my class, but I've got a fantastic class. We talked this morning about some young people in our congregation who need to be saved. We mentioned them by name in that class. I won't do that here. But we got some parents here who are praying for their children to be saved. Praying fervently. Praying urgently. And praying persistently. We've got some couples here who are praying for a child like Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they are praying urgently and I'm encouraging them to pray persistently. Persistence pays. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. The Bible says, Paul said in Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. When you pray, watch for the answer. Wait for God to answer. Look, believing that He will answer and thank Him ahead of time for what He's going to do. Be persistent. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Oh, you're praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. As long as you have breath, keep on asking. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and keep on praying. Persistence pays. Then, in the lesson, in the story, there is the lesson that we are to pray with great expectations. Pray with great expectations. Now, in the story, if you remember as it was read to us, Noah read about the father. 
You fathers, if, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? Is that talking that that's the way God is? No, remember I said to you, it's a story in contrast. Here's the way some people are. That's not how your heavenly Father is. You can expect good things from God. I asked Aaron to sing. Thank you, Aaron, for singing this morning. Good, good Father. My God, my heavenly Father is a good, good Father. If your idea of God is that He's sitting on the throne up there looking down at you, waiting to throw lightning bolts, if you think that He is cruel and judgmental, you don't know the God that I know. And I want you to know my God, my loving Heavenly Father. He is a good, good Father. Praise God. He's a good Father. But i got to admit to you, in early in my ministry, near about a hundred years ago, I always look at Brenda when I say that because she hates it when I say that, Jerry. She just, she says, I'm not that old. Betty says, I am that old. <laughs> there was a poem that I read that just destroyed my prayer life. Now, I couldn't find the poem exactly. There are similar ones out there, and this may be a composite of what I read way back then. It says, I asked for patience, and God gave me tribulation. I asked for strength, and God gave me difficulties. I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems. I asked for courage, and God gave me danger. Now, I understand that the person who wrote that poem... And part of that is supposed to be from an old Confederate soldier that was found in his Bible when he died. And I'm sure they meant well. And what the point, Corey, is I asked for patience and God gave me tribulation because through that I'll learn patience. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. I read that, and every time, Delaney, every time I'd go to pray, Lord, give me patience. And I said, oh, no, wait. I don't want tribulation. I'm not dumb enough to ask for crisis in my life. Uh, the Bible, Jesus' prayer said, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And that stupid poem ruined my prayer life for a long time early in my ministry somewhere along the way I read what the Bible says instead of the poem you fathers if your children ask for a fish do you give them a snake instead the obvious answer Shelley is well good grief no even an earthly father wouldn't do that. Nobody would be that cruel to their own child. Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course 
not, the NLT says. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He says in the book of James about what kind of Father we have and what kind of gifts that He gives. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. Listen, God loves you. Anybody ever told you that? Did you ever doubt it? Listen, God loves you. He is not going to be cruel to you or unkind. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. And my God, my Heavenly Father, gives good gifts. He's never cruel and He's never mean. He always gives what's best for us and what will be to His glory. He gives good gifts. You can trust God. I don't... I want to say you don't have to be afraid of God. And that's true. You need to be in awe of Almighty God. You need to respect Him. But you don't have to tremble and fear that He's going to do something bad to you. You're precious. If I could call every name in here... I would call your name. I'm the only preacher I know who calls people's names when he's preaching. And I'm sorry, that's just Lynn. But I love the connection. I do. And I would call every one of your names. I'd say, Joseph, you're precious in God's sight. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. He wants to give good gifts for you. I, I would do that for every one of Sydney. God loves you. He wants the very best for you. He's a good, good father. Lord, he gives good gifts because he loves you. He's a good, good father. Listen, what I'm saying is you can pray to God with great expectations, not with fear of what he's going to do. He will give a good answer. To your prayer, you can pray with shameless insistence, urgency. You can pray with persistence. And you can pray to God with great expectations. Because God is a good, good Father. And He loves to give us good gifts. That's that's what he says in Matthew 7, 11, good gifts. Other translations take that and say good things. God loves to give you good things. But in the Gospel of Luke, 
He says he will give you his Holy Spirit. You see what God wants to give you? His greatest gift of all. He gives you himself. He gives you himself. Jesus gave himself on the cross for you so that you can be saved. But Reese, when you trusted Christ, he gave you a part of himself. One person of the Trinity moved into your heart and lives in you until now. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He gave us himself. That's huge, guys. He didn't just give himself for us. Joe, he gave us himself. And he moved in. He is with you and he is in you. He does not just give good gifts. Chris, he gives himself. You know what he wants of you? He wants you to give him yourself. He wants your life. He wants your soul. He wants your very being. He wants you to move in to Him. Listen, if you've never been saved, Jesus died for you. He paid for your sin. You will never be saved until you recognize you couldn't do that yourself. But He has done all that has to be done so that all you have to do is receive Him. He wants you to give Him yourself. It's like taking your soul and putting it into the hands of Jesus Christ. That's what salvation really is. Admitting that you can't save yourself, but totally trusting Him to save your soul. But listen, He wants more than that. He wants to do more than save you. He wants to walk with you, to be with you every moment of every day. He wants you to give Him yourself. He's asked you to do that. And I'm afraid some of us are holding back. We have people under the sound of my voice who've been saved, but they've never followed the Lord in baptism. Why not? Why not? Why are you refusing the one thing that he's asking you to do immediately after salvation? Now, there are other parts of, of serving him, but he expects you to follow his example and follow him in baptism since you've been saved. And it's time. Today is the day. Surrender. Give in. Quit holding back. Give him everything. Give Him yourself. We have people who are visiting. We are glad to have our first time guests. But if you've been here time after time, isn't it time you made a move? Some of you need to come for membership. You need to join this congregation. We're glad to have you with us. And you can be a visitor for the rest of your life, but you can never really be a part of the congregation until you give in to God and you come and join 
and be, join this fellowship, join this church. It's a matter of surrender to God. I'm not asking you to surrender to me. I'm asking you to give yourself totally and completely to God. And the first step after salvation and baptism is joining the church. We want you here. God brought you here. Now take the final step and give yourself to God. He has given Himself to you. Will you now, right now, give yourself to God?